Coming up on Salt City Code, we chat with Ryan Goss about his open source projects, the story behind Backstroke, and what he's working on in real life. This is part six of our series, Catching Up with Careers in Code. My name is Karen Thorne. And I'm Kelly Corey. And together, we are Salt City Code. We'd like to take a minute to say thank you to our sponsor, Hack Upstate, for supporting Salt City Code. Hack Upstate's mission is to unite and facilitate collaboration among the greater upstate New York technology community. Twice a year, Hack Upstate organizes weekend hackathons. Developers and innovators from across central New York come to Syracuse to form teams, build projects, and win amazing prizes. It's all in 24 hours, and it's free to attend. Want to learn more? Visit hackupstate.com and get ready to code. Uh, do we want to ask some other questions before I yeah. go off about math? Because <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. That's terrifying. Um, okay, so the whole open, I want to know about, there's a, there's oh, a few yeah. things that I would like to, to find out about. So the whole open source project, what what was it, what got you to start doing the open source, and yes. why, did you, why did you shut it off? Yes. Oh, <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, and this mm-hmm. gets into a lot of my complaints with the software industry, too. This is perfect. Um, so I was, I think, I think this was the summer of 2016, maybe. Yeah, I think this was the summer of 2016. I did a thing where every single week I had a goal. So I'm still living at my parents' house at this time. Um, mm. So what, what ended up happening was actually for like the first, for that whole summer, basically, I lived at my parents and Jordan Messina co-worker. I've mentioned him, I think, at least once now. Mm-hmm. He actually lives in Baldwinsville, too, so he would come and pick me up, bring me to work, go to work, do that whole thing. He'd mm-hmm. bring me back and he'd drop me off on his way back. Nice. And it worked. I mean, yeah. I didn't have a car, so, yeah, whatever. Um, so, anyway, I was living in Baldwinsville. Because of this, I had a lot of time. Like, I was didn't have, like, a social life. I was just at my parents' mm-hmm. house, sitting in my room, doing the same sort of thing I'd do if I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to grow, sort of, my open-source presence, or, like, I wanted to be able to contribute to more things. I wanted to I wanted to be, have more of a name for myself, I guess you could say. Sure. Um, so I had this sort of ambitious idea um, because up until then, I had written a lot of sort of open source projects but always got bogged down in this whole thing where, like, I wanted to kind of get it working to how exactly I wanted it. I never really got mm-hmm. it to a point where I felt comfortable, like, showing it to someone else. Or I'd okay. make it and maybe I'd show it to someone, but they, they'd have, like, have complaints. And it never mm-hmm. really finished anything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I'm going to spend this summer every single week I want to build a new open source thing. Okay. And then at the end of the week, or maybe it was the beginning of the next week, I forget, I want to release it. Cool. I want to post it on GitHub. I want to kind of do a little bit of minor promotion. And mm-hmm. then I want to, like, write up some stuff about it. Nice. And I, my, my goal was twofold, like, make myself have more of an open source presence. But also I wanted to just get better at releasing things. That's sure. something I really struggled with and still really struggle with. Like, when do I figure out where that point of it being done is? Mm-hmm. And maybe some of my coworkers may not believe this because at work <laughs> I take it a little bit differently. But personally, it's That's definitely fun. something I struggle with a lot. Um, anyway, so, like, I did this a bunch of weeks in a row. Um, mm-hmm. And I made a bunch of kind of cool stuff. A couple of things I still use, actually. Um, one of them, I think I actually got a lot of, like negative comments on at the time with this tool called ph and i'm uh, if you know me i'm big into keyboard shortcuts and like using computers quickly mm-hmm. i'm a big vim person which kind of goes into that um Syracuse I, vim meetup yep, yeah it's gonna happen it eventually um but i uh i i 
I ran it, had this issue where, like, I had all these aliases set up for all these commands. Um, okay. Like, I still do. If you watch me, like, run commands in my terminal, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of incomprehensible to someone who doesn't understand what it is. Like, you'll just nice. see me type, like, two or three letters and hit enter, and that's, like, a shortcut for, like, a longer command that I'm just used to. Awesome. Um, so, git push was this command that I really, like, really had a lot of problems with, because I used a lot of different permutations of flags with it, but mm-hmm. I couldn't really write an alias for it. So I thought, you know, this is a problem I have that's, like, very specific that I bet maybe other people might have, too, because there's other weird people like me out there. So I wrote this little small script. I mean, it was, like, a Node.js thing. I still use it, actually. Um, it's this command ph, and it stands for push. And what mm-hmm. you do is you write ph and then space and then a bunch of, like, single-letter parameters. So a great example is, like, ph space om. And what it does is it all those expand to things. So OM stands for origin master. Um, okay. And all the it does like some fancy like parsing and it like says if it's there's an O and there's a remote that starts with an O, then that's probably mm-hmm. what that means. And if there's and like it'll fall back to branches and there's nice. like a thing if I do a comma in there, that's a pull. Um, okay. If oh. I stick an an F in there, I think something like that. It's like a force push. You see, mm. I don't. I don't think about it. My fingers just do it now. Right. So like, it's just see. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's a thing I love, and I still use a bunch. Awesome. I posted it online. I got like a couple people being like, "You're stupid." Like, <laughs> what kind of who would make a thing like that? Just use an alias. Like, come on. Wow. I, I actually had someone posted. There was like a subreddit for like laughably bla- bad software projects that someone posted it on. It was like Oof. really pretty mean. Yeah, I remember being like, this is really not so nice and no, I want to make sure I never do helpful. this to someone else in the future. Um, so like that's kind of partially what shapes my worldview on these sorts of things, experiences like that. But sure. that was one project. I built one called Biome that I still use occasionally, which is like okay. an environment variable uh, managing tool where like you can store environment variables in a file and like source them into your shell. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, but the thing that, the reason kind of why I'm going off on this, the biggest one I built was this tool called Backstroke. And it was mm. this idea I had actually going for a morning walk. Um, in high school, I went for morning walks. And I still do when it's warm outside. Nice. Um, really gets the, the brain juices flowing. But uh, it's a, uh, the idea was like, I had a number of forks of repositories I've made on GitHub. So for people who maybe aren't familiar, on GitHub, you have these repositories. And a common thing you do in uh, when you work on GitHub open source repositories, like ones that are managed on GitHub, there are completely different workflows for other things like the Linux kernel or like things like that that are older projects. But on uh, GitHub-based projects, you usually fork the project, and then that fork effectively is like a copy that then you have access to and you can write to. So you can then write to that project, you can make whatever modifications you can, you want to it, and then you make this thing called a pull request, which is like a way to bring that back into that original project. So that was that was kind of like that's that's the flow I was used to. But what I found is people make these forks and they just leave them. Like they make <laughs> them, they maybe like play with them a bit and they just leave them forever. And you'll find that as someone who has like an open source tool or projects they maintain, you have a bunch of these forks that people just have in their repositories that are just like ancient and out of date. Hmm. That are like you'll see on GitHub it says like this branch is like 55 commits behind master oh or something. <laughs> I mean that's that's, that's like small. Like they'll be like thousands of commits isn't unusual if you have an active project that like is old so wow. anyway this was a problem i saw and i was like i need to write something this week i need an idea that sounds like a good idea sure. um so i wrote this small little thing basically like github on repositories has this idea of a webhook where you can put on a url okay. and whenever some event happens in that repository it'll make a request to that url and you can do something on the server with that sort of data 
So I wrote, have this little GitHub bot, this little GitHub user that I had. I wrote this little web server, and basically you would take uh, a URL, I think it was just at the beginning, just backstroke.us. You put that as a webhook on a repository, and every single time something happened to that repository, you'd get a request, and what it would do is, effectively, you put that on your fork, and any time that like, anything mm -hmm. updates on that fork, okay. you would, it would make a pull request going in the other direction they normally go. Huh. So normally, you have a pull request that goes from fork to upstream or from fork to original mm -hmm. repository. This would make a pull request from the original repository to the fork, the other way around. Backstroke. That's really cool. interesting. And what that would do is it would mean that you could get effectively pull requests in your project saying, your project's out of date. Here's all the changes to bring it up to date. And you click merge, and it's just up to date. That's so helpful. Yeah, it was That's really pretty cool. sweet. And yeah. I, was, I was pretty proud of it. Um, so I published it, and it got a little bit more attention than I thought I was going to get. Like, before oh. this this sort of thing, I had, I'd written a couple of these projects. Mm -hmm. I'd gotten, like, mild attention. Maybe I got, like, 20 to 30 stars on it from, like, a, like a couple Reddit posts and a couple other ways of, of advertising. Okay. Um, this got closer to, like, I think 150 or 200. Nice. And I was like, maybe, well, I don't know if it was quite that much. Anyway, something more okay. like that magnitude, where it was big enough where I was like, hmm... I should maybe pay some, pay some more attention to this. Mm. So I kind of, as one does, I was a little like I, I was a little surprised. So I tried to fix bugs where I could and kept it up to date. Sure. Um, and being at the, I don't know if I'd use the word age, but being at sort of the level in my developer experience I was, I hadn't mm. really had the whole experience of like what happens when people give you feature requests and what happens oh. when like bugs come in. Sure. And I very quickly learned the sort of notion of being on call. <laughs> Based on this idea of like people bring in yeah. bugs and they expect you to fix them right away. Mm -hmm. oh. And if you don't fix them right away, they get a little bit angry. Yep. Even when you tell them, I'm a person who's not being paid, and this is something I'm doing for fun, supposedly. Mm. Oh, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. So I, what ended up happening was like I kept Backstroke going for a while. Like mm -hmm. it was this small little simple web service. And these sort of feature requests came in and I was like, you know, a lot of these are things I really could use myself to, and it really is like a direction I kind of want to take the, the, the project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I basically like rewrote the whole thing. As as one mm -hmm. does when things get popular enough, you're like, this has got to completely go, and I've got to think that yeah. it's all new again. So this new version of it was a lot more complicated, but handled a lot more edge cases. It actually had like a okay. database. Before it was completely stateless before. It was just like uh. receive request, make pull request, like get 200 back, GitHub's mm -hmm. cool, you have the pull request, you're good. Nice. Um, this more complicated version of it, it had like a database and you would like mm. sign in and it would be like a dashboard you'd go to and you'd like oh, wow. set up oh. all your links. Okay. I called them backstroke links. Went through a couple uh, iterations of the interface design. Mm -hmm. um, I actually worked with a couple designers at Density just like chatting with them to like get some feedback on maybe how I could approach different things better. Nice. I went through like a whole like product development cycle with yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, it was really informative. I learned a lot from it and it really shaped mm. a lot of like how I approach things today even. Awesome. But uh what ended up happening was, like, even with that, what I learned is even when I put in all this effort, people just don't appreciate it. They're just like, oh, great, you did all this effort, but this thing's still broken. Fix it now, please. Thanks. <laughs> and it's like, it's there's this sort of, like, people aren't nice. They don't, they're not willing to appreciate that I put in all this work sure. and that, like, at the minimum, at least say, thank you for doing this. Like, that... Oh, no, that's not happening on the Internet. Yeah, no. and, like, that really... Still to this day, is something that I have a lot of trouble with, and all my coworkers will say I have a lot of trouble with that at work too. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's. Uh, but it, I mean, I get it. You yeah. know, like you, yeah. you took the time to fix it, and mm -hmm. you know, because it wasn't one hundred percent to what they wanted, 
you know, they're going to say, well, it's still broken, fix it. Yeah. You know, like... And I will say that experience has made me very much more understanding of people working on projects. Sure. I don't really make demands of people in, in well, really in general, but like software in particular. Like mm-hmm. I'm very much, I ask people to do things and I, I don't expect a bug to be solved in some amount of time. I think that's really unreasonable. Just, I mean, sure, maybe there's like business constraints and stuff and there's that whole side of it. But just from like a purely human to human interaction standpoint, yeah. I just think it's not the right way that you no. should be working. So I, I got a little taste of that actually. Um, after we were done and with the program and everything, and I took my capstone to an archery meeting. We have oh. one every year. Okay. And so um, so there's a, a rep in for the area, for the mm-hmm. company, the, above the boat that I shoot. So we all get together. And I took my app, and I was like, you know, is this something that you guys might even be interested in? Mm-hmm. And right away, it was like, oh, my God, that's really cool. When is it going to be ready? And I'm like, well, I still have to finish it. I'm like, you know, and they're like, well, can you add this? And can you this, this, you know, like sure. they named about four or five different things. And I'm like, I can. I go, but just know they're not going to be immediate because what you're looking at right now took me six months to do. Sure. So I will, you know, it, it'll it be eventual. So that's mm-hmm. one of my goals actually this year. By the end of the year is to have that moved over to like React Native and push it nice. out. Nice. Yeah. I'd love to see it. (laughs) (laughs) I might need some help. (laughs) Let me know. Um, But, yeah, I mean, in general, like, this is kind of the path I took. I actually ended up rewriting it again one more time. Um, And I I actually, a couple interesting projects that ended up working with it. Um, So I have, uh, GitHub has this repository called Linguist that they use. Mm -hmm. I don't know if either of you have heard of it before. Mm -hmm. I have heard of it, but I've never looked in it. Basically, like it's a, a directory of languages that GitHub will automatically identify in repositories. Mm-hmm. So you know how there's like that colored bar along the top of GitHub that has like the segments of different repos- mm-hmm. like things? Yeah. Those indicate like the different languages in that repository. And if you click mm-hmm. on it, you can see details about like the language makeup of the repository. Okay, cool. And that's powered by this linguist tool. Nice. Um, so anyway, I was, as one does when they have some time, I was looking at the logs of this thing, trying to understand how maybe a bug happened. Mm-hmm. I noticed, wait a second, GitHub's using my thing. <gasps> Whoa, what? that's really neat. Oh. And they were using it on this linguist repo. Nice. And I thought that was really, really cool. And yeah. I, 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 yeah, so that, that's kind of one thing I'm kind of proud of, that, like, GitHub used my thing. We would like to thank Syracuse Coworks as one of our sponsors, the only nonprofit co-working space. They offer day passes, monthly memberships that vary in price, and a recording booth for all your recording needs. It's where we record our podcast. Stop in and check out Syracuse Coworks, located at 555 South Clinton Street in Syracuse, and see all that they have to offer. Anyway, like the uh, I want th- oh yeah that's from us. Um, uh, I was I needed to host this thing. I so before I was hosting it on on Heroku oh. and Heroku. I imagine most people are probably familiar with that. It's like this tool where you can host things either for free, cheaply, where like they turn off your thing so it, it saves uh, energy and like they don't have to host it and like they put it to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can pay more money, but it's kind of more expensive if you pay more money. So usually once people want to go beyond the free tier of Heroku, they start to look into maybe other directions so they can sure. not have to pay all that money. Um, so I was like, I want to find a place to host this thing because now that I'm going through my rewrite here, I need a mm-hmm. database, I need all yeah, these other things. It was going to kind of get a little bit expensive to do it on Heroku. And I... I also, at this point, I didn't have a credit card, so like, can't really do that. Right, yeah. So I'm 
yeah, I mean, I was just like, okay, I don't know what to do. Maybe I can somehow, like, charge for backstroke and, just, like, get that money to somehow pay for it. Mm. I explored that for a little bit. That ended up not being worthwhile to do. Um, okay. Charging for things on the internet is a whole can of worms. And it Certainly. also makes you even more open to those whole support request things. It's not just, like, you're no longer... You're being paid for it now, so you got to get it done right yep. away. Right, yeah. um, but anyway, what I ended up doing was I was, like... Maybe I'll do it on AWS because we were using AWS at Density, and I was thinking okay. I don't really like AWS all that much, but sure. it's something that maybe I'm familiar with, so I can I can use that, or maybe Google Cloud Platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I always found for personal projects I liked the most was DigitalOcean. I don't know, I okay. just kind of liked it. Sure. Um, so I heard that they had sponsored open source projects, so I reached out to them, and they just were like, after a couple months, we're like, yeah, we looked at it. It's got enough. Uh, clout, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll give you a couple hundred bucks you can spend on DigitalOcean, just like some credits that are valid for a couple years. Nice. Cool. Um, so, DigitalOcean was a sponsor of Backstroke, which is pretty nice. neat. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, that was cool. But yeah. I guess at the end of the day, after all these rewrites, I just got tired of maintaining the thing, and it really wasn't fun anymore. It okay. was something where I remember in particular one case where I was on vacation, and like someone was saying, like, <laughs> There's this bug that's affecting me, and you need to solve it now. And I was just like, no, I'm on vacation. I don't want to do this. Right, absolutely and not. Yeah, so basically I was just at that point, I remember like I was walking through a, like a park on my way back to my Airbnb, and I was mm-hmm. thinking, why do I still have this? Why am I still running this thing? Like, there's a couple people who are like really big users of it that probably have like almost a quarter of like the managed repositories on it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it's worthwhile anymore. So... It took me probably a good, like, six months to a year after that to finally go through all the things and do sure. everything. But it's not running anymore, that's for sure. Um, the okay. code's still open source. Um, it still has a decent number of stars. I think probably, probably like, upwards of 500, maybe getting close to 1,000 now, which nice. for me is was, like, pretty cool. But Yeah. Yeah, okay. so that's, uh, that's kind of the story of Backstroke. Um, I would say one thing for sure, anyone thinking about doing that whole sort of, like, work on a project every week over the summer thing or over some amount of time yeah. is totally worth it. It's okay. a decent amount of work, but I would say especially if maybe someone's in a situation where they don't have a full-time job or they're maybe uh, they're a student or like they're in, they're in like high school and they're, they just have like lots of free time, you learn so much. And it's like mm-hmm. not the sort of stuff you learn from like tutorials. It's, right. it's sure. like how do you actually run a thing? And mm-hmm. I will say if, if you have a mixture of getting lucky and have a little bit of talent at doing this sort of stuff, um, you p- could have an idea that maybe has some success. And I will say, if you roll a die enough times, you'll at least get a minor success. Um, so it's it's a worthwhile exercise just for that, that you can learn all that, those sort of skills that really, I think, make you better at being a software engineer if that's the direction you want to go in the future. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, so now... Well, the, this I want to know about your projects that aren't software yes. related because mm-hmm. I know you have a lot of those for that sure. You do. Um, so and you do all kinds, right? You do metal, wood. Yeah, like definitely. Everything. So I, uh, yeah. So I guess I maybe started off talking about my story a bit, saying like getting into software, but really mm-hmm. my whole life I've been into building stuff. Okay. And it's I really define that really loosely. Um, I kind of. I would classify myself as a maker. Like, that's the sort of new-agey word for it. And I, I actually recently was up listening to an episode of uh, Adam Savage's podcast. And he said something I really, really like, the definition for what maker is. I, it stuck with me. It was like uh, using your worldview 
to affect the world in some way and produce something or something along those lines. Like, hmm. and it was very broad. And I really like the broadness of that definition because mm-hmm. you think maker and you think like people who like make stuff out of wood or like maybe like uh, like carve statues or something like that. Mm-hmm. But was, well, I was gonna say when when you said that, I immediately went to pattern maker because yeah. that's what my grandfather did and actually nice. my dad. Um, he actually works for a company, a local company here in Syracuse now. But when Marcellus Casket was around, mm-hmm. he would carve tops of caskets. That's so cool. Yeah, that's a yeah. Good time. My uh, my grandfather was a cartographer for uh, the government, so he he oh. he made maps down in the Chesapeake Bay area. Oh, um, cool. And my mom actually growing up, she uh, she needed book covers for a textbook, so she'd use all the old maps as like book covers. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so I I really like that definition of maker, and I think mm-hmm. it it's very much inclusive to really a, a large variety of things. And I put software very squarely in that. Absolutely. And that's something that I feel like there are a lot of people who are software people that aren't makers, um, or mm-hmm. or don't. Or, okay, I should rephrase that. They're, they're makers in my definition of the word, but maybe they wouldn't self-classify themselves as makers. Right. Um, so, I don't know. I, I guess the, what I'm trying to say is, as a maker, one of the things I make is software. And it just so happens that's a profitable thing to make these days, and you can get a, work at a company, and I somehow enjoy it. So, like, hey, what the heck? Um, but as far as, like, where, where I got started there, I've um, both my parents were... Uh, yeah worked for uh, engineering we're, we're in the engineering field um my mom kind of was like around i would say near the the time where she, she was like into electrical engineering a lot uh, for mm-hmm. her profession at the beginning and she was at at the she kind of left the profession right when it turned from like looking at physical bits to like it becoming a computerized process where like you design a, a circuit board or like a, a circuit on a computer and you get that manufactured. Mm-hmm. And she really enjoyed the whole like I want to be able to look at a circuit and I want to see all the bits flipping and I want to be able to watch yeah, how yeah. it works. Yeah. And I so totally get it. I, mm-hmm. I, to me, it's also very fascinating. Um, so she comes from it from that perspective and has a lot of like interesting math knowledge there. Um, and I guess while I'm on the topic of my mom, just real quick, I, I have to mention this. My mom is a really cool lady, and she's had a lot of different interesting wines in her career. Um, okay. She started as a, she went to University of Delaware. Well, actually, to start with, she went to, she grew up in the Virginia, Chesapeake Bay region. Um, mm-hmm. And then she went to uh, University of Delaware for, I believe, electrical engineering, something like that. Um, and then after that, moved to Syracuse. Um, got a job, I think at GE. I think I might have that, might have that screwed up, but something like that, like working in that sort of realm in Syracuse, kind of part mm-hmm. of the whole like Syracuse manufacturing conglomerate thing that yeah, happened. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot. GE was definitely one, which would make sense for electrical mm-hmm. engineering. Yeah. So, but kind of, she eventually like got tired of that and. Ended up working for a small company down in Ithaca that I, I have to say the name because it's just so funny. It was called Ironics, like electronics. <laughs> like that's good. Yeah. Um, so, but she uh, she worked there for a while, but eventually she was just like, I'm tired of engineering. It turns out a lot of the complaints I have about engineering, she also did too. So it kind of, kind of runs in the family. But um, she ended up going to SUNY ESF and studying uh, mm. forestry, and she wanted to become like, a, or dendrology rather, not forestry. Mm. Um, and she wanted to be like, do that whole like outdoorsy park ranger more thing. Yeah. 
Um, and she kind of went on the direction a little bit. She went, was on ski patrol at Highland Forest for a while. Um, that's cool. And then after that, was like, okay, I'm ready to have kids, and that's when I came along. Um, and then after that, she kind of had a business sewing. So she, growing up, like her mom was big into sewing and a seamstress. Mm-hmm. So my mom mm-hmm. kind of went down that path and learned sewing. Mm-hmm. And of course, I learned a little bit along the way because she was always around doing it and frantically mm-hmm. sewing for the client and not always earning enough money as she should for the amount of work she was doing. Um, and like now she's kind of effect- effectively retired. But what that really means is she gets to just work on whatever things she wants to make and build, um, whatever sort of activities she wants. Which is kind of cool, so, though. Yeah. The, the reason why I really bring this up is is because I feel like it's, for what I'm about to say, it's good context to understand just how my parents kind of have had a really broad... Like, and my dad, maybe not quite to that much, but also he's mm-hmm. touched a lot of inter- different interesting things too. But they've sure. both had like a wide breadth of experience. And I feel like that's really affected me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, I was basically always encouraged to make things. I mean, it was something where I didn't have the money. So if it was between not having it and having it, and if I had, in order to have it, I had to learn a skill to do it, I would learn that skill. Sure. And it also helped that like, my parents had a lot of those skills, so if I asked for help, they would be like, oh, yeah, I think you can try this. Right. Um, and I had access to the Internet, so if I needed to figure something out, I could do it through there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because of that, I've just been slowly growing those sorts of skills. And, like, I've had opportunities in certain situations. Like, in high school, I had an opportunity to learn how to weld. That was super fun. Nice. Um, I made a, me and a friend of mine, I still am in contact with occasionally, Dennis Keegan. Uh, he goes to SUNY Buffalo. Um, we made a, a CNC plasma cutter. Um, which is like basically oh, think of yeah. like a like a CNC mm-hmm. machine like you've got like a, a moving machine like a yeah. 3D printer but really big it has a plasma cutter on the end and it cuts sheets of steel yeah I know That's what neat. they are yeah it's crazy and it worked like we demoed oh, it for God. the end of the year awesome. we made a couple things yeah it was super cool um, mm-hmm. but as far as I think what you're you're trying to touch on more and I'm I'm kind of rambling here <laughs> but I think what you're trying to touch on here is like what what do I work on these days and mm-hmm. most these days I've uh, probably since for about two and a half years now, I'd say, or so, I've actually had a workshop, like an official workshop. Not, I just wasn't just like camped in my parents' basement or the garage, like working with whatever tools they randomly had laying around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I've had a basement in this, the, the basement of uh, the apartment building I live in. Um, yeah. And if anyone's in Syracuse and knows me, let me know. I'd love to give you a tour and chat about it. I always like having people down there. Awesome. Um, but in general, the... Uh, I do a lot of metalworking and, like, small bits of woodworking here and there these days. A little bit of sewing thrown in and, like, some paper craft and stuff like that occasionally. I should have you talk to my husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. O- only because, like, everything that you just said reminded me of even my own boys, you know. Like, mm-hmm. he's taught them. Uh, now, my youngest one is 10 and my oldest one is 18, but they both know how to weld. Um, nice. They've both done, you know... Uh, some type of woodworking. Henry, in just in the past like year, has made two of his own shelves, I think. Nice. You know, That's really cool. Um, yeah. Doing that kind of stuff. Um, they both can run uh, a bobcat and a backhoe. Hmm. Um, and, you know, he shows them how to fix whatever kind of engine, small engine, you know, mm-hmm. car engines, whatever. They, they know all of that stuff. But, yeah, he does all that and eat, like, metal you name it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, and they are, you're, you know, like, I think even all of that still in some way applies to even software. Mm-hmm. There's, it, there's always some type of connection in thinking about 
you know, of how you do it. You know, like when you're, okay, so you're going to, we're going to build a program, right? Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, when we start out, okay, you're going to lay it out. Same yeah. thing with whatever yeah, you're building, you're going to lay it out. Definitely. And mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of like, I'll say the biggest thing that changed how I build things is once I have my own space. And it wasn't because it was the space in particular. It's because I could start to have my own tools. Mm-hmm. Something I feel like that's told to people a lot that I have conflicting opinions on is that the tools don't matter. That, like, you can figure out how to make something even if you don't maybe have the right the tools to do it. And okay. I understand where they're coming from. I think what, what when people say that, they're coming from that if you want to build things, mm-hmm. don't let your lack of tools mean that you can't build right. things. Like, right. you can find a way to make something if it's a creative juice you have and you want to express it. Yeah. But I feel like often people take that far enough where they say, oh, you want to build this crazy thing you need 50 tools to do? Oh, you don't need to. You can just use these random hand tools that your parents have. Oof. And that is totally not the case. And mm-hmm. It's amazing how once I started to have my own tools and started to have like a small collection of even things that were not all that expensive. I mean, in the greater scheme of things, also, this is once I had a job and could afford these things, but like a couple hundred dollars worth of tools, it mm-hmm. changed the game for me. It, d- it nice. does. It definitely changes the game. You know, especially if it's, you know, that you want to do something and mm-hmm. you need this certain tool to do it. Mm-hmm. And so. Also, one one other cool thing, I really appreciate when people come to me with problems about, like, how do I do this? And I can be like, I have the perfect tool for that. And I go over and I pull out this, like, random little tool that's like, Mm -hmm. I bought this on a whim from some guy down in New York City that, uh, like, at a flea market. And Mm -hmm. it just does this exact little thing. And here, you can borrow it for an afternoon if you want. Like, I love Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And it makes people, like, just so appreciative. both because, like, I'm able to do that for them, mm-hmm. but also because be- since they have the right tool, they can do a much better job on their project. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I I, uh, I say I live it. It's like living with Sanford and Son because, um, so, like, we live out in the country, and mm-hmm. we don't have, like, garbage pickup like they do here in the city. And, um, mm-hmm. We actually take the garbage down, like, to the dump. So it's, like, big, you know, it's a big dump. And sometimes he comes home with things, and I can't believe I just said that on this, but um, he comes home with things, but pretty much everything that he has come home with, he has repurposed Mm. and Mm -hmm. used, or, like, there was something very minor wrong with it, but nobody wanted to take the time to fix it, and it takes him 10 minutes, and it's back working. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, I... uh, I would say the two tools I've gotten most recently that have really changed the game for me, even that next level up. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, um, and I don't know if people are going to maybe know what these are. I know this is more of a software-focused audience, but mm-hmm. there's going to be those couple people who are going to be like, oh, I know what that is, and I totally agree with you, so I have to say it. Nice. Um, I got a, a milling machine and a lathe uh, for people mm-hmm. who are really technical, a Rockwell 2100 and a South Bend 9A. And oh my god. Metalworking is like changing my life. The fact that I can do something like I can take a metal block and I can carve a slot in it that's like exactly half of an inch. And if I want, I can take off a hundred thousandth of an inch and just shave that right off. And it like, no problem. It's just like easy. Like, that's just a level of precision to me that's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And I can do this for like a tool that's. I think I paid like $1,500 for my mill, which, yeah, is a bit expensive. Sure. But for me, that's like a lifetime investment. And this is a tool I'm yeah. going to have oh, for absolutely. years and years and that, years. That's absolutely a lifetime mm-hmm. investment. I yeah. have this, so we have this huge, it. giant lathe. And our seller 
Um, and it's a metal lathe. <clears throat> so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Would you like to go from zero to full stack web developer in 24 weeks? Karen and I did. We're graduates of the first cohort of Careers in Code, a coding boot camp also sponsored by Hack Upstate. Learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and more from awesome instructors and incredibly patient TAs. If you're ready to change your career, sign up for the second cohort waitlist at careersincode.org. You can also sign up for the Hack Up State Careers in Code monthly newsletter to receive updates, upcoming events, and job opportunities. That's careersincode.org. Right, so I did want to ask, is there anything else you'd like us to mention on the podcast? Do you uh, want to plug anything? I mean, I don't know. Uh, okay. I've, I've got a couple more, like, random open source projects I can talk about if that's interesting. But not really. I mean... Okay. You don't have Actually, to. I do have one random story I feel like I would like to tell. That okay. just kind of uh, shows the relationship my mom and I have. Sure. That might be interesting. Yeah, go okay. for it. Your go mom sounds it. like an awesome lady. Yeah. So I don't want to talk about my mom too much, but she is really cool. Um, she might actually be an interesting person to have on this podcast. She's not. She does software, but she, okay. she comes from software from much more of a beginner perspective. But like, she has a lot of interesting life experience. Yeah. I mean, that's anyway. fine with us. Um, so my mom and I have this sort of relationship where, when she, uh, when either of us have problems, um, we send them to each other, and then we just think about it together. So we have a family mm. Slack group, which also for families such a great idea. Um, mm. And we. Uh, so I'll sometimes be at work, and all of a sudden I'll get a message from my mom being like, so I have this problem at the at the farm. Um, my mom and a friend of hers, they have like a farm where they grow a lot of produce and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Awesome. So I get a, a, a CSA every week from them, um, which is really cool. And I sometimes yeah. help them with things, and That's Amy's great. great. So anyway, she was like, oh, yeah, so we have this weed problem up in the upper field, and we, we want to spray a, fifth, a 55 gallons drum's worth of hot water on it to kill all the weeds. How would you heat up all the water in that 55-gallon drum? Mm. And we did a bit of thinking back and forth on it, and yeah. we ended up coming to the conclusion that the best idea would be to weld together a cart that you could pull behind a tractor. Okay. You could pull it over top of a fire and start a fire and then heat this up. Mm. Have like a pressure thing, like a paint sprayer sort of mm. thing you could use to pump water from that gallon, 55 gallon drum into like a hose you mm -hmm. could use to spray the field with like a spray head. Um, and we like went through the process of designing it. We like drew it out. Like my mom's really good at drawing, so she drew out a little isometric thing of it. We like mm -hmm. talked about it. She didn't end up building it. She found a different solution. But I just the like that sort of. I feel like that's a bit of a unique relationship I have, and that really has molded my personality a lot. So sure. I would say if if you uh, if anyone listening is interested in that sort of. Like, like solving problems like that, try mm. to find other people you can work through problems with. It's a lot more enjoyable mm. with for those sorts of problems to be able to talk at somebody with them, I guess. Can I, can I mention one more thing? Yeah, yeah go for I it. I didn't quite talk about my house yet. Holy Ooh. crap, Ryan. Yeah, I just realized that. And I feel like that's something people might be interested in. Okay, so why are you building this model house? And is it something that you will build in real life, do you think? Uh, yeah, so I'm building this model house because I've always been interested in how houses are put together. Sure. But I've never really had the sort of opportunity to to, to build one or really to, to go, work through a lot of the sort of problems that one does when they build one. Mm -hmm. um, because I can think about like all the stuff in my head and that's great and all. 
But thinking about it in my head is very different from actually doing it in real life. Because you just yeah. like in software, you run into problems where you're like, oh, I didn't even realize that was a problem. Yes. <laughs> um, and I've run into a lot of those. But the, the reason I'm building it like f- for real, though, is um, mm. my grandmother died, I think, two years ago now? Um, year and a half ago, something like that. Um, and when she when she died, um, we had to go through her stuff and like look through all the stuff. And um, they they ended up actually uh, my grandmother and grandfather they built their own house. Like they bought plans and they like modified the plans. And mm-hmm. with the help of some contractor friends and a little bit of hired help, built this whole house that sits on uh, nice. a river off of the Chesapeake Bay down in Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. And I always thought this was kind of a neat house just because it was very clear to me how things were done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of had always been like a little bit fascinated with it. And I found when going through her stuff, the mm-hmm. blueprints for the house. Oh, cool. And I was like, hmm, okay, this is interesting. And I originally was just like, I want to frame these and put them up on my wall. Mm-hmm. But instead of doing that, I was also kind of looking for a project to work on. So I thought, well, I'm just going to build this thing. Like, I want to build a small version of it. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm going to do it at 1 to 12 scale. So every foot in the real house is an inch in the model. So it ends up being a pretty big model I ended up realizing. But mm-hmm. I just went for it. So I started at the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about a year in now. I'm a good portion of the way through it so i have the i made the basement or i poured the footer i poured the slab i laid concrete block for the the foundation Mm -hmm. um i put in what did you use for block that well great great you asked um i actually uh, bought a mold online um, for scale concrete block and made a my own custom plaster cement and sand mixture um, with with rebar inside and cast each block. Wow. Okay. Um, I, when you are finally finished, I would like to see this because now, now, oh, yeah. only because I know exact, I know everything that you're talking about. <laughs> yep, for sure. And I, uh, I think I made like something like a thousand blocks. Oh. Um, I had a box about this big, about like two feet by like three feet, that was filled with blocks, and these blocks wow. are like. Like an inch by like half an inch. Like Lego size? Yeah, like maybe like Legos, only maybe like half as. Le- a Lego with a plate on top, if that means anything to people. Okay. Um, so, and they have like the two little holes in it. You can stick the rebar through, and it's great and all. So, I, I casted all those. I laid them all out. I, mm-hmm. I learned how to do masonry. That was something new, and I did it on a small scale. I made myself a little small trowel, and I laid it all in. Mm-hmm. I used mortar. I screwed up, but like, I got it enough, so it, it's good enough for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, lay, I, I painted the slab. I sanded the slab. I prepared all the stuff in the foundation. Then I, I laid the, the uh, joist for the first floor, and the, the sill, and the. Mm-hmm. And the uh, edge joists and stuff like that. I laid down a subfloor. I started putting up walls. Um, I put in drywall and flooring. So I have hardwood flooring on the first floor, hardwood for most of it. And then uh, in the kitchen, I've got tiles. Nice. And then in the bathroom, I have this like, I wanted to make a. I always thought penny floors were cool, but I thought it'd be mm-hmm. cool for to have like a penny floor at like oh. large scale that are like big penny, like. Uh, uh, sewer sewer uh, manhole sized like mm. penny floor that's, that's so neat. i did that i finished i finished it a little bit um did the drywall i uh, put up some of the internal walls i did some of the details inside i started doing the second floor i did a staircase uh mm. i let's see what else i mean it's slowly coming along but the, the mm. thing oh the roof was a big thing too that was a lot of fun mm. um so I just recently finished up all the windows, and actually, as of last, uh, this past Wednesday, I finished mm-hmm. up uh, all the doors. 
So I'm mm -hmm. just about to start uh, putting on the house wrap and putting on siding. Wow. Oh my gosh. Amazing. And so the deal with the penny floor, I know somebody who actually did that. They did it for, nice. the, they did it for the bathroom. She had this oh, giant like bucket of pennies and mm -hmm. she, she washed nice. them all and everything. Can I just tell you that within, I want to say six months, laid linoleum down on top of it because uh. she said it was really hard to like keep clean, even though Sorry. like they put, I think they just used clear epoxy mm -hmm. on it. But she just said it was really hard to keep clean, and she couldn't keep it clean, and it was, you know, it, it became ended up becoming disastrous. And I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. if just there was a better way to do it or what. It took her a while to do it because she had to clean all the pennies, and, like, you got to lay them out. you got to make sure you do everything. So, but, yeah, I think they just laid linoleum over the top of it mm -hmm. after, like, six months. And I'm like, whoa. That's a lot of work. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm still still definitely in progress. Um, mm -hmm. I want to finish it, and my goal is eventually the house is going to end up being at the the house it's, it's modeled after inside. Oh, that's so cute. So my, my uncle lives in the house now, or partially lives in the house now, so mm -hmm. he thinks it's cool. He he grew yeah. up, he built, like, ship models growing up, so he gets the whole nice. model maker thing. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's the goal. So if anyone knows me and, like, is interested in seeing this thing or, like, wants to at all work in the shop, like, mm -hmm. my shop's open. Like, let me know. I'm always willing to have people come by. Even if you know nothing, you just have, like, a project you want to think about. Like, mm -hmm. come over, we'll figure it out. I mean, I really enjoy it. So, open invitation. Awesome. Uh, I keep telling Drew he needs to go, like, hang out in your basement and work yes. on stuff. He's will not stop talking about getting a soldering iron. That's, like, his Ooh. new thing. Like, I want to get a soldering iron, and I'm going to start getting back into, like, making things. And I'm trying to encourage him to do that because I know it's something he's really interested in which I think is great. Um, question, do you ever do, like... Okay, I don't know how to phrase it correctly, so I'm just going to, like, say words. Yeah. Um, do you ever work on, like, restoring computers or, like, old video games or, like, the more electronics kind of things? Or you, like... uh, not as much. I, okay. I, or at least I haven't historically. I have some okay. old computers I got... Uh, Actually, from my Eagle Scout project, I uh, oh. I did a computer recycling event, and I maybe shouldn't have, but did... Uh, <laughs> take a couple of the ones from there that were nice. like they were just going to recycle them anyway and they were cool um sure. so i have like a couple like older mac laptops and uh, a couple things like that Sweet. that i think are actually like interesting to me historically that i've thought yeah. about doing that too and they kind of okay. run still so maybe nice. even worthwhile there but yeah i mean it's something where if he gets into it yeah i would love to chat with him okay <laughs> excellent i let him know if you would like to follow me on my personal learning curve journey, my website is kethorn.com, Instagram, Karen Thorne, Twitter, kthorn, and email, contact at kethorn.com. Also, be on the lookout for JS Web Development, LLC, as I'm starting my own business. Twitter and Instagram are JS Web Dev. I'm working on a website that should be up soon, and that's jswebdevelopment.com you can always email me at jswebdevelopment at gmail.com. You can keep up with Kelly by following my Instagram and Twitter at thisiskelcor or visiting my personal site, kel.dev. Together we are Salt City Code. You can follow along with the podcast at Salt City Code on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach out to us at saltcitycode at gmail.com. And remember... Always, Always keep, keep it, it salty. salty.